Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osban, here with my friend, Chabruta Aaron Gordon. Our DAP today, Masachet Yevamot, DAP Yud Chet, page 18. So, I, you know, I was trying to figure out what part of the Gemara here I wanted to read, because there's really a very lengthy discussion that sort of takes place from the first mission of the second parak all the way until uh, Amud Bet of this staff. And it essentially is presenting um, five different opinions about how to exactly understand what is going on in, in our Mishnah. And it's the opinion of Rav Huna, Rav Yehuda, Rav Yehuda, Ben Betera, uh, Rabbi Meir, and Rav Gamliel. So I thought instead of um, it may be helpful to sort of review each of those opinions and think a little bit about what uh, each opinion is saying. Um, and doing that, can we sort of develop some vocabulary or some of the underlying concepts? And you talked about this yesterday that, you know, now we're sort of getting into the real meat of uh, Yibum itself uh, in a way that we had not it with the first parent. So um, remember that the Mishnah that we had and today we're going to have sort of the second part of that Mishnah, right? Talked about the case about, you know, three brothers, but one of those brothers was born, uh, uh, you know, after, uh, was born after uh, one of the brothers married the wives, right? In other words, that was a brother that didn't exist at the time of the marriage. So what Rav Huna, so that, that, that was sort of some of the premise. And then it went through various permutations of having three brothers, and, and, you know, what would happen if one dies and then the second one dies and then you have this third brother who's born later on. Um, but in terms of the machlokas that we're um, dealing with, right, um, is, you know, the case that they're all discussing is this case about uh, whether or not a yavam uh, is, you know, a yav- there's a yavam and a yavama, right, and the yavama dies. And the question is whether or not the yavam could then go ahead and marry the Yavama's mother, right? So, you know, Sarah, let's say- Don't try this at home, folks. Right. Meaning this is this is not a likely case. Not a likely case at all. And one of the things that's interesting to me about this before I get into the opinions is particularly this case about the brother who's born later, it has to be boundary pushing because there's no way that until that that baby grows up, you know, and could theoretically marry this wife, I, I just have a hard time believing that that, Oh, you no, know, I think Obama. that was real. I think I that was real. You think I think so? that I think that there the status of, of some Yavamot in the in terms of waiting and that meaning, kind of thing was akin to the way we relate to Agunot today. Okay. Meaning I, not I, I not with the sliminess. Oh, I mean from an Aguna point of view. I meant it from a biological clock point of view. But I guess you're right. Like if you got married at 14 and then a brother was born and it's just a matter of you waiting till you're 28. Yeah, I guess theoretically you could wait for 14 years. Yeah, I mean, it, I don't think it's the way people want to be. But in the meantime, the family is providing for her, right? So, like, right. if that's the, if there's a concern about the children being born on the name of the dead brother, but also the fact that this woman is not left high and dry, you know, again, not our society. Right, right, not our society. And I think that waiting piece, is, you know, is an interesting point to to make as well. So anyhow, so we're talking about this case where there's a Yavam and a Yavama, right? And, you know, uh, and a woman is basically, you know, this Yavama is basically waiting to to marry her Yavam and she dies. So let's call her Sarah. Sarah is waiting to marry Ruvain. Sarah dies. And so the question is, is Ruvain allowed uh, to marry her mother? And the essential question that this is over is, is this idea of Yezika or Ainzika, right? Is there 
this, you know, bond, which is basically what Zika is sort of trying to define. Zika. And that's a lot of what this parrot wants to talk about. And, you know, when Anne and I were prepping the beginning of this parrot, you know, I said, like, how would you actually define uh, what a Zika, you know, what a Zika is? And what I, I, I think, I don't feel like I necessarily have a great definition yet, but what Zika is saying is, is that there's some type of marriage-like bond. There's some bond that takes place just by being the status of Yavama to Yavam, even before that marriage actually takes place. And that's sort of the question, that the answer to that question about whether or not their Yesh Zika or Ein Zika is going to determine the answer to this question about what happens if the Yavama dies and then the Yavam wants to go ahead and marry the Yavama's mother. So according to Rav Huna, in this particular case, the Yavam would be allowed to marry, right? So we're going to use the names, Ruvain and Sarah. Ruvain would be allowed to marry Sarah's mother because there is no Zika bond, okay? Even though when the Yavama is alive, the Yavam would not be allowed to marry her mother, right? Because of the Erva issue. Um, um, and, uh, you know, th that, wouldn't be, uh, that wouldn't be allowed. Um, and, uh, you know, and if he were to do that, right? then that Yavama would actually have been sort of his wife's daughter, right? Which is also an erva. Um, and then he never would have been able to do the mitzvah of, of the Yavam as well. So in other words, if he's waiting uh, to, to marry this Yavama. If Reuven's married, waiting to marry Sarah, um, they have, you know, and, and then at the same time, Reuven says, okay, I'm going to go ahead and marry, you know, Sarah's mother, right? Then he wouldn't be able to marry Sarah anymore because now Sarah would be, uh, an error to him. But what Rav Huna is saying is, is that if Sarah were to die, he would be allowed to marry Sarah's mother because there's an Ein Zikat. There's, no, there's none of this like actual bond here while they're in this sort of in-between state of just being designated as a Yavama and, uh, and, 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 and a Yavam. And the other thing to remember here is Rav Huna says this in the name of Rav, and there's a whole interesting discussion about Rav Yehuda and Rav Huna and whose opinion are they actually quoting. Then we have Rav Huna, right, who he basically says uh, that when this woman is waiting uh, for her, so if Sarah is waiting to marry Ruvain, right, Ruvain would not be allowed to marry her mother, would not be allowed to marry Sarah's mother because of this Zika bond, because Yesh Zika, there's some type of marriage bond that they do have, even though they haven't officially entered into marriage, but just having this state of being a designated Yavama and a designated uh, Yavam. Um, and even if the Yavama dies, right, if Sarah dies and she no longer can do Yibum, okay, that Yesh Zika, like that bond, doesn't necessarily uh, go uh, go away. And he still, Reuben would still not be allowed to marry her mother. And again, Rav Yehuda, we said, had to be the opinion of Shmuel, um, which again makes sense because Rav and Shmuel always seem to uh, they, you know, they're bar pollutants. They always uh, disagree with each other. Then we have the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda ben Batera, right, who does also hold in Yesh, uh, Yesh Zika, right, that there is sort of this bond. And this basically, because of Yesh Zika, this doesn't allow Yavam uh, from doing Kedushin with the Yavama's sister, okay? Um, and uh, uh, um, so, okay, let me use names again, okay? So here, let's say we have Ruvain and Sarah, okay? So Ruvain is the Yavam. 
and um, Sarah is the uh, and Sarah is the Yavama. And so the question here is, could the Avam, right, who um, who has done, let's say, Kedushin with the Yavama's sister, okay, um, because of the Zika uh, bond, he basically cannot do Nisuin or really go into marriage until uh, his brother, uh, you know, dissolves this bond by either doing Yibum or Chalitza. So in other words, another brother would have to come in here and essentially sort of dissolve the Zika bond by doing Yibum or doing Chalitza. So again, I hope I'm explaining this case correctly. So, and I shouldn't have used the name Ruvain, but now I just realized this. Okay, let's say Shimon dies, right? And (laughs) Ruvain, and we still still have two brothers floating around here, right? So so that's sort of what we're talking about. So we have Ruvain and we have Levi. So Ruvain is in a Zika bond, basically, with uh, with um, uh, with uh, Sh- with Shimon's widow, who is Sarah. Right? Let's say Ruvain also uh, uh, wanted to do kedushin with Sarah's sister Leah. Okay, um, and basically he would not be allowed to do that. Okay, until another brother Levi, let's say, dissolved this bond with the Yavama, okay, with Sarah, because he could say like, okay, I'll fulfill that obligation and I would have to do this by doing Yibam or Chalitza. Levi would have to do Yibam or Chalitza with Sarah. So that's what Rabbi, Rabbi Yehuda ben Betera, that's the halacha he wants to learn because of this Yesh Zika. Then we have Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir holds there's no Ein Zika, right? And, uh, uh, you know, and, and therefore what Rabbi Mayer's whole issue is, is that you have to be very careful, therefore, because there's no Zika, that you can't somehow negate the act of Yibum. And so what that means is, is that if by entering into a marriage with an erva that would prevent, uh, you know, you, a, a Yavam actually being able to fulfill uh, the obligation of Yibum with a Yavama, because of somebody else that he marries, uh, even because there's no Zika there. Um, and so technically he, he could marry her, right? There's no bond. Um, we don't allow that because we don't want to negate or, or do away with the possibility of Yibam. And then finally, Rabbi Gamliel also holds that ain't Zika, that there's no Zika, right? But he th- says you are allowed to negate the mitzvah of the Yavamin. Right. That in other words, you could even marry a relative of a woman who's awaiting Yibum. And then basically, because she's now an Erva, she can't do uh, she can't do Yibum um, Yibum at all. But 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 this is it's not so straightforward exactly uh, when Rabbi Gamliel says that you are allowed to do. So the way that I would understand this stuff, and again, I, I think it's visually uh, it's auditorily difficult <laughs> without using visual aid is that we're essentially going through five different opinions, debating whether or not they hold yesh zika or ein zika. And then once we establish what their opinion is um, it, of that amora or of that tana, then the Gemara's question basically is, okay, if this person holds yesh zika, right, what are the implications of that for a particular uh, halachic scenario that they're discussing, right? Because they believe in yesh zika, X, Y, and Z has to happen. Or because they believe in Ein Zika, X, Y, and Z has to happen. And so that's sort of what this stuff is doing. 
it's going through all these permutations. But the idea of Zika is, is that even before the Yavam and the Yavama actually enter into a full-fledged marriage, just by the fact that they're designated to go into Yibram, to complete a, a, the Yibram process, there's some sort of bond that they already have. And so essentially what they're trying to argue with this Machlokas over Yesh Zika or Ein Zika, and we're going to continue to see this in this parak, um, is at what point does the bond of Yibum start? Does it start from the moment that there's a potential for a Yavam and a Yavama, right? That would basically be what Yesh Zika is. Or is it really not until the actual marriage itself happens? I think that's how I'm sort of starting to articulate this in my head. And I think it's really a great question, right? Because in other words, is there some connection from the second that brother dies, you know, and the other brother has to step in? Or is it really not until like you go through with the whole thing? I, I think that's kind of the essential meta question of what they're trying to get to here. So I, maybe this is an easier way to think of it, although perhaps less precise, I'm not sure. I think of the Zika, this, you know, the tie between Yavam and Yavama, right? I, the when they say Yesh Zika or Ein Zika, to me it's tantamount to saying, is there a chiyuv of Yibum? Is there an obligation for Yibum to take place? Yibum or Chalitza, fine, to take place, or is there not? Because if there's not, meaning if there's no Zikat Yibum, that there's no bond for it, there's no tie for it, then there's no obligation for it. I mean, then there's nothing, right? Or Yesh Zika. But I also think that the cases, as you've described them here, the opinions of you, as you've described them, have sharpened. I, I don't know why it didn't happen for me in the case of the brother and the the two brothers who are not alive at the same time. But somehow the description here sharpened for me the the um, the relevance of time, the time factor between, for example, when does this, you know, when does Ma'amar, when when does any of these stages of things happen besides simply the death and the final act of evil? Because the the implications for the tsarot, for the co-wives, and for the other brothers, for example, are real when you figure out like, okay, but the, these two people were in a relationship, but now this brother has to go do something else. Like, but if they had, let's say, let's say he had, I don't know, let's say it had happened in the opposite order, it wouldn't have been relevant. You know, that kind of thing. Right, and I think and, that's that's key. Maybe just to find what ma'amar is quickly, because that you, you sort of started to say that term, and that's an important term for us to understand. Right, so ma'amar is this like, it's the formal recognition of the fact that Yibum is going to take place between these two people, right? So it's, and it's defined as, you know, essentially betrothal, but it doesn't have the weight of betrothal, betrothal that we think of with Ariston and Kedushin, right? Because that kind of betrothal, and I've talked about this on the podcast, I don't know, a long time ago, you know, the, the idea of betrothal being the kind of um, engagement promise that used to take place between, you know, princes and princesses of, you know, heads of state where they're making an alliance type of thing. And to to break that would be a serious thing. So to break Kedushin would mean that you need to get. As opposed to nowadays, at least in my circles, our circles here, Dana, you know, if a couple gets engaged and if they then break an engagement, I'm not saying there's no heartache, but there's no need for a get under normal conditions. Um, it's not a, it's the, the, the language of getting engaged in our modern times, is not halachically getting engaged. It's not the betrothal stage of things. Right. Anyway, so so well, ma'amar. I want to just add one thing to, to the ma'amar piece. I, I what's key about the ma'amar piece is is that, uh, and this you know may add another layer of why we're uncomfortable with yibum is yibum 
sort of need that Kedushin, like Minhat Torah, like it doesn't need that Kedushin ceremony. It really. So this is what like, I was going to say. Right. It's it, just because a there's an act, it's just an act between. No, the- no, no, no. I don't. I, I, I'm sorry. I don't mean to say no like that. I what I mean is because Yibum kicks in as a requirement. Because what has happened, the brother has died childless, and now there's an obligation on the next brother, right? But what that means is there's a zikat yibum, there's an obligation for yibum, so there's no, so having an act of kiddushin, meaning a formal act that that establishes this connection between the couple, is irrelevant, because there's already in place a formal tie between the couple. I'm, I'm glad because- you cut me off, because you said that much better than I was going to. Right, but, but. <laughs> The key piece here is, is that sort of Chazal at some point recognized that sort of that wasn't so nice. And so then they put in this Mamar act that has to happen ahead of time. Like, right. So it has to happen to sort of designate it. That to yes, formalize it. To formalize it. Because I think they recognized in the end, yes, you don't necessarily, you don't need formal condition because it's exactly as you said it, Anne. Like, there's already a Zeke, there's already an obligation there so they don't need anything but I think the fact that Chazal put the Mamar in again speaks to that Chazal is not totally comfortable with, with Yibam like it, 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 it's 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 weird and the one last thing I want to say maybe about- I may I mean I, I wonder I, if this isn't just to make it seem more like like um procedural like to make sure that there's steps you have different brothers like let's make sure that everybody's on the same page they're going to do Yibam there's not going to be a Chalitza Right, like that. To me, that's what Ma'amar does. It takes it out of chalitza. Oh, I think it's so it doesn't seem as crass as it is. That's my opinion. But <laughs> the last thing I want to say is, is that, you know, we talked about you know the biological difference, right? That in other words, you could have a woman who's waiting for fourteen years. Um, but I think also like these cases speak to like people really married within their families and probably often lived in small villages where sort of everybody was related. So. I, I, you know, as much as we also think like, yes, it's sort of going through all the different permutations of all the ervas, I do think this was practical as well. Um, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, yes. And, and I'm sure these things were all the more complicated because of the intertwinedness of the society. Okay. With, with your permission, I'm going to jump to the Mishnah on Ahmed Bet. Um, which gives us, you know, another new case, right? Um, uh, let's see if we can, like, track this through straight from the first time through. Shnei achim umet achad mehem. So far, so good, right? Two brothers, one of them dies. hasheni et eshet achiv. So this is classic yibum, right? Meaning the first, the brother who died had a wife who's now a widow, and the brother, the second brother, is going to marry, or not marry, is going to do yibum with the eshet achiv, with the with the widow. And then another brother is born, meaning there's two brothers to the parents, to the grandparent generation, right? The the two brothers are born. The the two brothers are born. One dies. One does yibum, and if the the third brother is born, and then Vamate, the second brother, has died. So what happens? Let's assume he, both of the older brothers were married. One dies, leaves a widow. One, ma- one does Yibum with that widow, but he also still has his own wife. 
Now he dies, right? We've ha- seen this kind of case before. Hopefully it's a little bit clearer now or more familiar, if nothing else. So now the, the let's see, again, the second brother dies. And then what happens is that presumably because both of his marriages, meaning the Yibu marriage and also the, the first marriage, right? Um, they happened before the third brother, right? Meaning he was not around yet. So then what happens? Now the first woman, the widow, right? The widow of the first of the first brother is exempt, right? Why? And we've seen this before because she's there as a Yivama because of the older brother. I don't know if he's really older, but because of the brother who died. And all of this is taking place before the third brother is ever in the world. Okay. And that was our previous Mishnah. And now the co-wife, now what does that mean, the co-wife? Right? The co-wife is the, the main wife of the first of the second brother, right? But she is now, because she's the co-wife of the of the widow who is exempt. Now, maybe she, too, is going to be exempt, meaning the phenomenon of them being tzarot, of them being co-wives, gets them both out of the need for yibum. She doesn't know, she no longer needs yibum from the third brother, even though her her husband has now died also. By the way, nebuch on the family, right? That's why I say some of these cases are really exploring, again, not to push the envelope, but to see what would happen in the case of, not because this was necessarily so common that this many families would be having this many brothers without die without any children. Um, but, so what happens now? The second, so the second wife, who's really the first wife of the second brother, um, can go, can also, you know, go free, whatever. So then what happens? So if, in fact, if in fact, the second brother, meaning the brother who's married, and now is dealing with a widow of the first brothers, the first brother who died. So what if he had done ma'amar as opposed to full yibum, and then he dies, then vashniya cholet So then the the widow still goes free because her husband had died. All of that takes place long before the other brother, the third brother, is born. But the shniya, the the main wife of the second brother, does is not sufficiently a co-wife with the with the widow to go free on account of being a co-wife so rather but she can't do yibum either because it's this weird in-between status so she doesn't do yibum she does get chalitza meaning from the third brother who's born later just i would say again just to be on the safe side why because again her status of the exemption from the co- as being a co-wife it never kicks in because there wasn't a full yibum but but there's a partial yibum, meaning there's a ma'amar. So therefore, therefore she's not going to have yibum from the, the. So therefore, she's almost to the exemption. Let's say so. Almost to the exemption means don't go so far as need a need for yibum. But let's do chalitza just to be sure. Rabbi Shimon Omer miabim mehen and so Rabbi Shimon has a completely different take on this. He says, you know, rather the third brother can do yibum from either one of these two women he wants and do chalitza to the other one, whichever one he wants. Meaning, what happens? He's born after the second brother has had yibum with the first, meaning not the not the ma'amar case, the full yibum case. So again, 
the there are two brothers, one dies. The second one, who is also married himself, does Yibum with the the widow. And now what happens? Then the third brother is born. The second brother dies. And now um wait, let me just make sure I get, that I've got this straight. Um I think then therefore he can the 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 younger brother, the third brother, because he is born after there's already a full yibum with the widow. So then it's as if she's the wife, according to Rabbi Shimon, this is not the mainstream opinion. It's as if she's already the wife of the second brother. And therefore, the when he dies, it's as if he had two wives, he doesn't have children, and lo and behold, brother number three can do Yibum with one and Chalitza with the other, and Shalom al Yisrael, as opposed to the beginning of the Mishnah that says, no, neither of them has to do anything with the third brother, because you know, the one is exempt because he wasn't alive, you know, he wasn't Ba'olamo at the time that um, the older brother died, and the second wife is a co-wife, and so she's also exempt. It's a really <coughs> dramatically different psaq, meaning the practicality of, you know, nothing versus, oh, yes, in fact, you need Yibum for one and Chalitza for another is very um, heavy, I feel. It's not, this is not an incidental machloket. It's a very different practical machloket. Right, and I think it, 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 you know, so much of this is dependent on when that brother is born, and then you have this additional machlokas within the Mishnah itself. Right, now I want to note, um, I just want to, Rav Oshaya says, it's the opening comment of the Gemara, that says, Rabbi Shimon, meaning even on the first Mishnah, Rabbi Shimon had, you know, had some disagreement here on this question of the of the baby brother, meaning of the brother who's born after the first brother dies, right? And I don't want to get into all of it now, but I'm just I just want to note that it's not that he suddenly got an objection in this case. He always had this, you know, difference of approach. Um, and perhaps we'll have the opportunity at some point to talk about why that is. Um, I want to just jump to towards the end of Amabet. We have a statement here, you know, again, it's going through the whole Rabbi Shimon position and how could it be that he would think that there's a need for Yibum and there's a need or a need for Chalitza here at all, right? So Rav Yosef, Makifla Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef objects. Um, so he, you know, the question is also, no, I'm sorry, I'm going to get taken too far far afield. Let's try to keep it simple. Makifla Rav Yosef, hashta zika umaamar misapkale. So what happens? The question is, you've got a case where you've got the zika, this obligation or whatever, we bond, ties, whatever, for Yibum, and we've got the ma'amar, meaning the, the formal recognition of the fact that they're going to have Yibum, they're going to do Yibum, whatever. So then Rabbi Shimon, so now, like once we've got that, both yibum, the zika Yibum and the ma'amar, so now the question is, what does Rabbi Shimon think? You know, is she like somebody who is in fact married? Presumably the implication being get, but I'm not 100% certain what other implications there might be. Or is she like an unmarried person, except for the fact that she's got this designation of the Zikat Ibum, so she's not fully free to go, right? But it's still not the same thing as being fully married. So then... That question, right? Meaning, what does Rabbi Shimon, how far is Rabbi Shimon really going to take 
his um his treatment of this case as you know oh you know she with the ma'amar how far does it if it's only ma'amar does it count as ibum would he count her as a married woman would he count her as you know oh the 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 third brother could do whatever because because of that status of like ma'amar being is it treated as full yibum the implication seems to be no and that seems to be but but Rabbi Yosef's concern seems to be you know hello Rabbi Shimon you want to disagree with this whole approach then you have to specify you know the 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 cases have many more you know nooks and crannies and and whatever going uh, that's not the right expression, right? But the idea that you have so many different potential wrinkles in the cases to be able to say, is this a case of, you know, of Yibum? Do we need Chalitza? Can she go free with nothing? And I would say that he's not, maybe it's not fair to say, but I, I don't think, I think the Gemara is working hard to spell out Rabbi Shimon's positions on everything. Wow. There's <laughs> just every day. It's a big job. Well, that's our job discussion for the day. Rink is reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rebbe Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff and some of the new terms we learned, Zika, Mamar, and our Talking Time with Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.